Now I just see Mr. Pinkerton.
Houston, we have liftoff. How's everybody doing? Welcome aboard the Soul Train. Tonight, we are having an extra special episode. It's going to be the first time, and in, in normally, this is supposed to be on the All Pro Turf Show, but it would not allow me to stream there tonight because I've got to go through some sort of approval process. So tonight, we're going to do it right here on the Grass Factor, and we've got our same lineup of special guests here that I'm sure everybody's all excited to see. So not only will it be myself, we also have 
uh, Mr. Ryan DeMay, who is our Ohio State turf man, also the owner of uh, Field Source Solutions, who's your madman when it comes to all things related to high-performance sports turf. But beyond that, beyond that, he could take you a little bit further than you anticipated, even on your lawn care side. He will definitely get into your brain and challenge you to think. And that's why he's one of our favorite guests. And also, also, we've got the green dog, Ray Ito, the man himself coming from Hawaii. Everybody give a big round of applause for Ray. Ray's been around here for a long time. And uh, so this is definitely not the first time everybody's seen him here. So, uh, again, big round of applause for Ray. But today, today what we are going to be doing, we're all going to be consecutively working on developing a program for none other than, I love, I love the new handle here, Mr. Brandon Mitchell. How are you, good sir? Brandon with Turf Culture. Oh. Can't hear him quite yet, but he'll be coming through in just a second. Just a second here. Uh, I don't think that's on you. I think we're still going through a little bit of a, a setup there. Or did you have yourself muted, Brandon? Not muted. Oh, you're good now. We hear you loud and clear. <laughs> All right. What's going Am on? I still muted? <laughs> nope. Ray is live. Ryan, give me a little mic check here. Brian is not quite uh -oh. live yet. But he's coming. He is coming. Don't worry. Don't worry. We'll get it all figured out. So, again, the the game plan of today is uh, Brandon sent over some soil tests. And what we are going to do is, based on his location, based on his soil test, come up with a lawn program uh, specific to him. And uh, he gave us a little bit of a parameter. And the parameter being we're going to work within eight applications. So I feel like that within eight applications, there is certainly something we can get accomplished high-performance turf-wise if we put our minds to it. Uh, so, uh, Brandon, first, I want to appreciate you for sending over all your information and being willing to share it with us, and then even more importantly, being able to come on the air with us. So real quick, before we get started, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us a little bit about uh, what you do social media related as well. Yeah, absolutely. I can get into that. So I uh, appreciate you guys having me on the show. Um, it was cool to be rubbing shoulders with some turf pros like yourselves. Uh, so uh, if you don't know and you haven't seen my channel, um, I actually have a new channel that's called Turf Culture. And I do a lot of DIY work uh, on my own lawn and a couple of my neighbor's lawns. Um, and uh, I film it all on YouTube like a weirdo, like everyone else, you know, looks at me crazy for being out there with the camera and all that. But um, it's kind of what I'm into. It's my hobby at this point. And uh, in my professional life, I work in cybersecurity. And so getting out in the lawn and, and doing some um, content creation is kind of my way of kind of breaking away from the high pressure stress uh, related job that I have. So um, that's a little bit about me. Well, uh, thank you for the little tidbit there. And uh, and just to warn you, uh, Brandon, we're going to come at this as if you are a seasoned lawn care vet. And uh, and so if at any point, any, any time you feel like you do not understand what we're talking about, feel free to interject and tell us to explain it a different way so that you do understand. Um, hopefully the topics that we get into tonight will be easily digestible. Uh, so that way, whoever is watching, no matter their background, 
may be able to uh, uh, at least pick up some information here. Real quick, we're going to do another mic check with Ryan DeMay. How are you, sir? He's not there yet. He's coming. I promise you he's coming. He's not there yet. Ray, tell me, how are you doing tonight? I'm well, thank you. Uh, Ray, what was on your what's on your menu today? That's what's most important. Oh, uh, thanks to some pictures on the Discord, I'm seriously considering a pound and a half steak. <laughs> My goodness, Ray, that is too much. <laughs> seriously considering it, and uh, you know. Cannot do without my baked potato with everything on it. <laughs> uh, better you than me. That uh, that is what I like to call the heart stopper. So um, that's why I can't I, I can't do those things I used to do like that, Ray. It just it doesn't work for me anymore. Here's the odd thing: is that I credit cholesterol with literally saving my life. <laughs> <laughs> And by, well, and by the way, I'm probably one of the only people in the family that don't have heart disease. Isn't that, isn't that funny how that ends up happening? Maybe maybe one day we need to do a whole diet show, uh, the diet with Ray Ito, the lawn care diet with Ray Ito. Wouldn't that be a good time? Ryan, are you back in yet? Yeah, I'm working on my eight applications of cholesterol every day, and it's working out pretty well for me. <laughs> pretty happy with it. Pretty happy with it. <laughs> that is funny. Um, all right. So now we've got everybody in. We've got everybody live. Um, so I'll kind of explain a little bit about how when uh, the information you sent over to me, Brandon, you know, of course, I, I share with everybody else. And the what I pulled from it in order to uh, actually start designing a program. So um, first things first, what I initially I always do is I pull up the growth probability model from PaceTurf, right? And for those of you that are wondering uh, what that is, you can type in growth probability, uh, pace turf, and it will take you to uh, the growth, uh, well, let's see, hmm. uh, the climate appraisal form from, uh, from pace turf. And if you go to that link, you can be able to download it. It's a little bit difficult to follow along. So what I did was I took the basis of that and I kind of converted it into something that's a little bit easier to follow along. And I will throw a link to that in the chat. Um, and so basically what I did is I went to weatherbase.com, pulled historical weather data, inputted it into this spreadsheet. And so that way it tells me exactly what the growth potential month by month is of your particular area and just looking at your weather information the first thing that kind of sticks up to my it, it sticks out in my mind is number one over winter it's actually relatively cold it's colder in your area than i anticipated it to be uh number two it also gets exceptionally hot in your area so you're definitely playing both sides of the aisle here um, when we're looking at the growth probability model, you're looking at as temperature increases, typically your growth increases. But you have this weird thing that as you start moving into summer, it's normal as you climb over 75 degrees to see a reduction in growth, right? But what we see is actually in a very aggressive decline in growth that you face in your area. So 
you in July will see somewhere around a 50% reduction in your overall growth from your turf. And that is an important piece of information to account for when we're doing this. Uh, when we're we're going through this and 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 planning each application, right? Because if we're so hot, the grass is no longer growing in July or is growing at fifty percent of its potential, we don't need to be putting down a pound and a quarter of uh, a pound and a quarter of of you know urea. Then you know quick release urea. So those are just on super high level initial things that I saw. Ryan, is there anything that sticks out to you? Just in terms of the growth potential, yeah, I mean, it, this this is a, a, a historical average, right? So they're basing this, I believe it's a 30-year average. Um, if you really wanted to get down to brass tacks, you can track this every day. Uh, I believe, uh, I'm not sure if the free version of Greenkeeper app is doing this now. I know the paid version is, and I also know that there's a couple of spreadsheets out there that are openly available that you can copy from uh, like golf course superintendents and a couple other folks that have implemented this that actually track it in real time, right? So based on the temperature and precipitation that they're seeing day to day, and then they'll model that over top of their 30 year average to get even more precise. So eight apps, you know, that's, uh, that's more than a lawn care company would do in a lot of cases. Um, and certainly something that you can adjust a little bit better on the fly because we're going to be able to tighten up our intervals and uh, probably knock down our rates a little bit and be a little bit more judicious with that fertilizer. So if you're into it and um, you want to try something like that, if you want to be uh, ultra precise, that's the way to do it. So I'm interested to see though what we come up with. And I think it'll be uh, maybe, maybe we'll get, maybe get in a little bit of an argument tonight, even for the first time, you know, it's like that uh, relationship where you haven't had that first fight yet. And you're just wondering how it's going to go. <laughs> And I mean, I know I'm going to win. I'm not really worried about that, but I just want to see how the fight's going to go. <laughs> Ray, uh, I don't know how much time you've had to uh, to to take a look at things. Uh, maybe you actually started with the soil test, I, I believe there, Ray. Uh, is there anything in particular that stands out to you, at least the information that we've looked at so far? Well, so far, the only thing that kind of stands out to me is his lower potassium so level but that's easily so far rectified in an eight application program that's easily fixed i do have a question brandon how much uh milorganite were you putting down for how long um oh. actually I, <laughs> I haven't used any milorganite in probably two years <laughs> you did a damn yeah. good job when you were using it, sir. You know. <laughs> yes, I did. Um, this lawn is the actually scars are still very present. So go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> this, so I've actually only been in this house for two years, and the first when I first moved in, that was kind of the first my you know my approach, my novice approach was just to dump malorganite on it because um, I moved in like midsummer, and so that's I'm still uh, fighting back the the high phosphorus from from those initial applications. Okay, and what kind of turf are you growing out there? Uh, Kentucky bluegrass. Okay, irrigated? Yes. All right. In ground irrigation. Uh, front yard is a roughly 2,800 square feet. The backyard is about 2,500. Nice. And is that Kentucky bluegrass you established from seed yourself, or was that what was there, like a builder saw it, or what was that? What's the deal with that? So, so the front yard was actually renovated last 
last fall uh, with Kentucky Bluegrass. And uh, let's get some Jacqueline cultivars on there. Um, uh, Midnight, New Glade, and Everest. And the backyard is kind of a hodgepodge of fescue that was already there and then overseeded with, um, uh, you know, some of your your better, you know, stronger cultivars from Mountain View and Jacqueline. Okay. Let's hope that Jacqueline seed was actually what you paid for. (laughs) 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 Oh, that's some inside baseball right there. That is, that is, yeah. and that's a tough pill to swallow. <laughs> no, I, I'm sure you were probably fine. I'm sure you were probably fine, but it's, uh, you know, it's interesting to make light of other people's embezzlement schemes. So we'll move on. We'll move on. <laughs> All right. So I'm just going to say real quick for everybody watching at home, uh, a, a couple of things that really stand out in the soil test. I, I don't know if we're going to be able to get it up on the screen because we kind of threw this together at the last minute, but uh um, is uh, number one where I wouldn't necessarily say we're out of control with phosphorus, but we're high in phosphorus. Phosphorus levels somewhere around uh, I called it seventy three parts per million. That was uh, that was the the lower of your two, I believe. But the the big one that also kind of stands along with this is that you know where we are with phosphorus, but we're also at three hundred and six parts per million of iron, and that is a relatively significant amount of iron accumulation in your soil. And when we see, and this is just kind of based off experience of, of, of taking a look at these types of things, when we see higher phosphorus and higher iron, that is the tall tale sign that we are working with a malorganite user here. Uh, and I guess it's kind of like finding track marks on on somebody's inside of their shoulder, you know. Uh, it's 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 the it's the track marks of lawn care. Uh, high phosphorus, high iron. Uh, you know, you've been you've been on your your malorganite heroin here, and uh, and it's time to it's time to shake you a little bit from it. So, um, we're, well, hopefully, we'll be your Narcan today and get you and get you going in the right direction. Uh, Ryan, what, what were you saying? You go ahead. No, I mean, I was just going to say, yeah, this is an intervention. There's a whole bunch of people here that love you, and we don't want to see you get on this path anymore. So will you accept our help today? <laughs> I appreciate it. But if you want to know full disclosure, uh, the majority of my program was built around 818 last year. Uh, nice. 4% Which is iron not helping right? contribute is <laughs> not helping contribute to your your iron situation that you got here. All right. Oh, look, look. So, uh, J Pink actually pulled this up, and J Pink, thank you. I know you were scrambling to get that going. Uh, <laughs> and, and you know, we don't have uh, the the beautiful chart here to show us, you know, what's good and what's not. But uh, if you if you uh, scroll down just a hair there, J Pink. Okay, so what you'll see is at the bottom, um, we have what the demand, this is what the yearly demand will be based off what our soil test shows that we currently have ready to be used by the plant in some form or fashion versus what's going to be removed by the plant from the soil, right? And so as things are removed from the soil by the plant, uh, as turf applicators to really dial in our lawn care programs, we have to match what's being removed versus what's available, what's what's there to be removed, right? So uh, that's why when, when we take a look, take a look at things and we kind of we, we like to use this model because it it tells us you know basically what we need for a year is going to be somewhere around four pounds of in 
based off the amount of phosphorus he has in his soil. We only need about a half pound of P2O5 and then based off his potassium rates. And this is more designed towards the, um, uh, oh no, you're at 121 parts per million. So around 1.9 uh, uh, pounds of, of K2O there to uh, effectively maintain that 121 parts per million. Because from my perspective and the way I build programs, if I'm over 100 parts per million, I can start to save a little bit of money in potassium. And so that's how I would reflect it over the course of a 12-month program is that I might run just a little bit lean and take advantage of the free potassium that already exists in my soil. So for a yearly total, this is exactly what I would come up with. I would not be overly concerned with applying a lot of micronutrients in this program. I wouldn't be applying a lot of iron at least. I would feel okay Definitely with some sulfur there because sulfur is going to elicit, uh, uh, also uh, help facilitate a little bit of iron uptake as well. And that's always a fun one. Um, and so, you know, using something like ammonium sulfate would be ideal. But the problem is here is that we're already uh, kind of on the lower end of the pH between a 6 and a 6.5. So it wouldn't be my dominant nitrogen source. But could I get away with it once or twice a year? I definitely could. And in your specific instance, with the high iron, a little bit low in uh, 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 sulfur, that would be my early springtime application to capitalize on as much color response as possible. So me immediately right out of the gate taking a look at this, my round one would be something like a, uh, it would be a two to one in decay. So we'll call it either a 20010. Uh, but if you're using ammonium sulfate, likely you couldn't get that high. You know, so it would have to be like a 1507 or a 1508 or a 1608, somewhere around there. Um, would be my first application. Now, also first application timing here, uh, even though we're not really going to see a lot of vegetative growth and response until April, um, what we can see is that somewhere between February and March is where we are definitely hitting that warming trend. So from my perspective, from a professional perspective, I want to be ahead of the curve. I want to be ahead of the competition as well, uh, because remember, I have to sell my services as compared to everyone else that's out there. And how do I sell my services? Well, I sell my services by having the best damn lawn on the block. And so, again, that ammonium sulfate first application, 1608, somewhere around there. And I would time this somewhere around March the 1st while also putting down a pre-emergent. You said you have Kentucky bluegrass. Kentucky bluegrass is pretty good at, if you've got density, it's pretty good at resisting weed pressure. But across your area, you're also going to be dealing with a lot of tall fescue and a, a very minute amount of Bermuda. So that March 1st, I would definitely be putting down prodiamine. Uh, me personally, when I go out my first app of the, of the season, especially if I didn't treat them the previous fall, um, I'm also in, you know, slap me in the face, but I would be making a blanket application of a broadleaf weed control. As cool as you still are with average temperatures around 46, uh, in, in March, eh, probably a little bit cooler at the first of March, right? I would be using a kicker for cold weather. Specifically, I would either be using pyroflufenethyl, uh, also known as octane, alongside my three-way herbicide, 
or I would be using Carfentrazone as my kicker in that first application. So my first application, ammonium sulfate, sulfate of potash, prodiamine, uh, a three-way herbicide, and some sort of cold weather kicker, either pyrofluthanethyl or carfentrazone. That's how I would kick things off. Ray, how would you kick things off? Where would you kick things off? I'd probably be looking at the same time frame about March and two to one into K. Uh, here's where I'd get funny. Because of that lower pH, I would actually be okay with my nitrogen coming from something like urea. And I normally don't usually like urea, but I'd be okay with, a, say, a fertilizer that was based on urea and sulfate of potash and add your prodiamine in there, uh, add your, you know, say, speed zone or speed zone alternate with uh, something to make it even hotter. Uh, may I ask you, Brandon, how bad is your nut sedge in your area? It gets really bad. Uh, probably around the oh. middle of May, the nut sedge comes up. Um, it has been better since I relieved a lot of, I had some drainage problems um, and it's getting better as I'm top dressing with sand. Uh, but it does get, because of the humidity and, and how wet it gets here in the summer, the, the nuts edge is really bad. Okay. So what that would tell me then is also added to that first application, equivalent of four ounces per acre of dismiss or sulfentrazone. And you're going to apply a second application of that sulfentrazone with the second half of your prodiamine split because, you know, when you apply prodiamine, I cannot emphasize this a, a enough. Please apply your prodiamine as a low rate split rather than trying to throw down your annual maximum all in one shot. I mean, your grass will literally thank you for that. <laughs> That is a great point, especially being Kentucky bluegrass. And there's an upcoming video where I'm going to be reviewing a lot of, uh, of trial data related to the root pruning effects and also the denial of rhizomatic activity out of Kentucky bluegrass due to high rates of prodiamine and dimension. And I used to be of the mindset, just thinking things through, that prodiamine did not uh, inhibit a whole lot of rhizomatic activity because it was establishing from a rhizome versus a stolen, right? And uh, But it, interesting that as that herbicide continues to get trialed, they're seeing actual suppression of rhizomatic activity out of Kentucky bluegrass, out of prodiamine. So that's a great point, right? Yeah. I mean, I just want to put that out there is that you can have effective weed control, but you can do it in a way that is less stressful to your grass because I could never get away with using annual maximum of prodiamine on any of the turf grasses that I deal with because I'd probably see immediate thinning and or death of the turf grass. So because I typically deal with warm season turf grass kept at a half an inch or lower. <laughs> so getting squirrely with the prodiamine is definitely not on the, not in the cards. 
Brian, how are you going to kick things off here? I'm going to ask a bunch of questions because I'm a consultant. That's what I do. Uh, <laughs> so, first of all, um, let's see here. What were, tell me about your last apps last year. How did you finish out the year on um, weed control and fertilizer specifically? Like your last two apps of the season, let's say. Uh, so last two apps of the season uh, was a 36-00 urea, um, probably late October, beginning of November. Um, and uh, weed control, I really didn't. I didn't. I stayed away from any chems just because I didn't want to damage the new turf. So hand picking, I guess we'll call it. Hand picking. Okay. And so those last two apps then were just urea 4600. I'm assuming like a pound each time or what was your end rate? Uh, about a half pound each time. I, I okay, didn't want so, to give it a full okay. pound. Okay. So a pound, a pound through the fall. Okay. Um, you mentioned top dressing. How frequently are you doing that? And how much are you doing with each event? I started doing top dressing um, the year prior. So I, from from what I understand and what I know, uh, about a quarter inch of, of sand is kind of where you want to be with that. So I would typically top dress, um, you know, the old tried and true shovel in a wheelbarrow, right? Just tossing it out. Uh, <laughs> you got you to use what you got, right? So I would top dress. I had some areas that I was focusing on and I was pinpointing on where I was incorporating some sand into those areas to help with the drainage after aeration. And then last season, I, when I when I did the renovation, I did a total top dress once all of the, the turf that was there was completely uh, smoked off and gone. I went ahead and I did a quarter inch of sand and over the entire lawn um, area. So. I did another quarter inch and then I seeded on top of that. Okay. So now we're working with a quarter inch cap, maybe a little bit deeper just from the previous top dressings you had done prior to the renovation. Fair to say? Fair. Yep. Okay. Okay. And you plan on continuing that this year, maybe one or two apps this year, as much as your back can handle? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I'm probably going to do it um, at some point coming here in April and then I'll do it again in the fall. This is kind of my plan. Okay. We'll put you down for three just in case. So, okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. That said, um, tell me about your application equipment. What are you comfortable with using? What do you have in the arsenal? And yeah, just what's your overall comfort level with okay. uh, spraying and um, granular spreading? So I've got, um, I've got a typical backpack sprayer. I've got a couple of them um, where I kind of interchange uh, AI nozzles, XR nozzles. Um, I, I really like to spray. Um, if I'm doing a soil drench, I'll use a, like a pro app or something like that. And then for granulars, I've got the old tried and true, uh, Scott's AccuPro. Um, that is probably my favorite piece of equipment that I own <laughs> that I use. So pretty comfortable with using all that equipment. I've been using it for a long time. Perfect. Okay. So uh, last question is, um, you know, we're giving you general recommendations, but if we can give you more specific ones, uh, where do you try and buy from typically? And uh, if you don't want to mention it, that's fine. But do you typically work? I guess that would be the question. Do you typically buy locally or would you rather have something delivered to your door? Yeah, I try to buy local when I, when I can. Um, you know, generally I'll buy, you know, three-way herbicides. Uh, if I need to grab something for, you know, some sort of weed control, I usually get that from a local big box store or something safe. Um, mm -hmm. for 
you know, pre-emergence, I buy the, the prodiamine WDG in bulk. Um, I buy, uh, you know, my, instead of buying granular for grub control, I buy that, you know, the liquid concentrate. And then um, I'm lucky enough to have an advanced turf solutions rep that lives in the neighborhood behind me. So that's normally where I get a lot of my, um, uh, my water disposable, you know, uh, the UMAX or, you know, my 0050 SOP and things like that. Perfect. Well, no, that's good to know. I think uh, having those options available to you is going to is going to help you out in the long run because they do have uh, some products that we can look at and maybe um, not to necessarily throw them business, but to more so just hey, let's get what's easiest for you to get and give you a plan that's workable. So, all right. So then uh, that was the long round uh, to my answer on round one. Um, I'm coming at this from not a lawn care perspective, but more of a fine turf perspective and. Uh, I agree with the the kicker with the octane and three way. That's fine. Clean up any broadleaf weeds. Uh, I would not put down a pre-emergent, personally. Um, uh, with this small of a lawn, this guy right here, this guy. <laughs> hey. So um, Saturday night, my wallet sent. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I would not put a pre-emergent down one because you've got new seedlings out in front, right? And what we just talked about with root printing. My experience and then this research that Matt's going to talk about too will lead me to believe that you'll definitely see uh, negative effects of that, especially in year one. So uh, if you were going to go out with that, I strongly recommend that if you're spraying it with the 65 WBG that you're at the lowest rate, the 16 fluid ounce to the acre rate for sure. Um, if you do forego it, it just changes your crabgrass and uh, goosegrass control strategy a little bit in terms of uh, now we're going to play uh, defense in terms of when they start to come out. And so that would change kind of my round two thinking. Uh, I'm going to, I would use, I would jumping to round two, I would use one of Ray's favorites. I'd use the old Queen Chlorac Tenacity and Triclopyr coming out there because I know that I've got emerged crabgrass and I can take it out with two modes of action with Tenacity, right? And if I had my round one druthers, I'd also put Tenacity in that tank and use that as sort of a weak pre-emergent. So my round one is my three-way, my Octane is a kicker, and I'll throw tenacity out there at five ounces to the acre as a, a weak pre-emergent, right? Whatever I don't clip with that, I'm going to come back in May, and I'm going to be able to clean that up with, one, the tenacity, two, the quinclorac, and it's going to work really, really well on young two-leaf, you know, three-leaf stage crabgrass, right? Triclopyr's in there as a kicker to just take care of any other broadleafs that we might have. It's at a low rate, and it'll also help out, too, if we do see any type of bleaching, uh, which we shouldn't see at that rate on uh, Kentucky bluegrass at the five ounce to the acre rate. Shouldn't see any bleaching, but if uh, with the trichopyr in there, it'll mask any of that. Uh, it's very good at doing that at, at a low rate of like 16 ounces to the acre. So uh, also on fertilizer, again, if you've done a half a pound uh, kind of coming into, or half a pound for two apps uh, leading into the fall, if this was a more mature turf, I might back off and only do a liquid app. Just do a, a you know, maybe a, a couple tenths of a pound, something like that. But in your case, and growing in uh, a new renovation, I'd go ahead and uh, put out, again, something like a quarter pound, maybe a half a pound if you really wanted to get swirly with it coming out of the gate, but not force it too much too quickly, right? Uh, new grass is a little bit different than older grass, and you can play around with those rates and maybe back down on your already established back one and kind of see the difference. I mean, I'm the kind of guy I like to play around with stuff like that, so maybe you could and see um, what your differences might be there in terms of response. But overall, that round one for me, I, I'm backing down a little bit just because uh, 
one, I don't want to hurt the new grass with uh, pre-emergent. Two, I feel pretty good about where you are with N, you know, kind of coming out of the year. And three, I'm also looking at, um, you know, using these apps to our advantage, especially if we're going to be on a sand cap and trying to grow aggressively through um, the sand top dressing that we're going to put down spring and fall. Uh, Got it. Now, awesome, having said Brian. that, oops, sorry, right, Matt. Go, go no, ahead. you go ahead. You go ahead. Ignore oh. me. <laughs> I was <laughs> going to say, so eight days ago, I put down uh, to, to raise recommendation, right? He mentioning the split apps of prodiamine. I've already done my first split app at the, at the low rate. Um, and I tank mixed that with about a tenth of a pound of urea and also the uh, subvert prefix was also in the tank at one ounce per thousand. So okay. going into round two, just leave out the prodiamine from here on out then? Kind of what you're getting at? That's what I'm getting at. Yeah, if you've already got it down, I mean, you know, the hay's in the barn at this point. So uh, <laughs> the, you know, right now we're looking at more of a, yeah, now we're going to look and make sure anything that does break through on, on that half rate. And I honestly don't think, so just to clarify, you're, you were going for a full 32-ounce rate, but you were splitting it up 16 and 16, round one, round two. Accurate? Right, yeah, six-week intervals on that. Okay. Okay, perfect, yeah. I would feel confident that um, you're going to greatly reduce your pressure coming into it. I think what you're going to see is that smooth crabgrass germinates earlier than large crabgrass. So, like, you know, we get uh, germination on smooth at, like, 58 degrees soil temp at a two-inch depth. Um can't remember large, large is just behind goose. So it's like 64, 63, something like that. And then goose comes out at 65. So uh, those would be my trigger weeds. I'd be really looking for those on the back end. I don't think you're gonna have any problem with smooth. It's gonna be the large and then the goose that you're really gonna have to keep an eye out for uh, going into summer. So again, remember the goose grass um, for about four weeks later than crabgrass on germination. So but it's pretty easy to see goose. Uh, I think it's even easier to see than crabgrass is sometimes uh, in terms of spotting it as it starts to emerge, right? So uh, it comes into more scouting on that side, but I'd rather deal with that, particularly on a new lawn, than have to worry about clubbing of roots and going into that summer and looking at that growth potential uh, curve for you dipping down so far in July. I'd be really worried about uh, my root structure mass and uh, depth at that stage in the game. And so to me, I'd rather uh, be a little bit more uh, labor intensive and mindful on the weed control side and a little less uh, worrisome and not sleeping at night in July because my roots are dead. Okay. And uh, I can add a little tidbit in that if you ha do have that sulfentrazone added, sulfentrazone will definitely burn out goosegrass that is less than one tiller especially if it is combined with say a tenacity application so you do have coverage for both your goosegrass and your crabgrass that has snuck through that low rate uh, prodiamine application and i might tend to agree with ryan and this might be the year that you take it easy on the prodiamine and you go post-emergently because actually you have many options for controlling grassy weeds in Kentucky bluegrass and turf type tall fescue. It's not like you're out of luck. So I wouldn't be too afraid of 
going light on the pre-emergent right now. Well, I'm going to throw a monkey wrench into the plan because right around on round two, guess what I'm doing again? I'm putting down more prodiamine and I'm not thinking anything about it. Uh, <laughs> again, you know, from my standpoint, I can play catch up with this that, you know, biostimulant technology has moved far enough along that I can play catch up with this, that it just, I'm not overly concerned with it as long as I've got a tool in the toolbox that I can reach for to get myself out of any kind of situation that I'm into. Now, again, from my perspective, my biggest fear is going to be any kind of breakdown and then not having the budget to be able to correct it on the back end. So instead of spending $1.50, $1.60 per thousand on weed control applications, I can spend 30, 40, 50 cents per thousand on a good, solid, quality biostimulant application that can hopefully provide a little bit of insurance on, uh, on any of those negative effects that may be coming from these applications. So um, right, at, right out of the gate, if, following up with March, and you said you're waiting six weeks, that's fine. That'll put us at, at uh, April 15th on the next application. I'm putting down my second split application of Prodiamine. Now, again, like we touched on in the first one there, uh, I am 100% not going out with the annual yearly application divided by two. That is not what I'm saying at all because there's no room for error in that in the event there is any kind of failure. So normally a pound of active ingredient per acre is going to be sufficient. Being Kentucky bluegrass, it just kind of like when when I was with, uh, with zoysia grass, uh, with zoysia grass, I could get away somewhere around 0.7 pounds per acre. So I would be somewhere probably closer than that of 0.35 AI, 0.35 AI in these applications and feel pretty damn good about it uh, because we're, we're dealing with some, some pretty dense-ass turf there. Now, what Ray suggested related to the sedge control because we are about to start moving into really quickly where we go from March and things start turning green by, by uh, middle of May, all hell's about to start breaking loose here. So um, this is where in my second application, I'll say that's April 15th roughly, is where I'm going to throw my first application of sulfentrazone down. And I due to the sedge pressure, and I'm going to repeat that on a 30-day interval three times, right? So that would be May 15th, June 15th, July 15th would be those three specific applications. So I no longer have to think about um, the, uh, uh, the sedge issue. Now, here's one thing to put into your mind. If you are not mentally prepared for the potential of discoloration and the amount of potential phytotoxicity and stress it's going to put on the grass, then it may not be for you. And you may want to do an application of House of Fear on and feel good about yourself and not, not worry about it. Or play with one of the is I think Vexus is labeled for cool season grass too. Maybe you want to you maybe you want to uh, spend the money on Vexus. Again, from my perspective, if I'm trying to outcompete everybody else in my area and I can make it appear as if you never had nut sedge in your property, and I can do that with a relatively decent approach of adding a little bit of nitrogen into the program while I'm applying my sulfentrazone to try and hide some of those effects, maybe I start throwing in some manganese sulfate or some zinc sulfate since you do have a relatively lower end of the pH spectrum there. That can also kind of help hide some of, some of those effects. And 
we know that you know manganese sulfate specifically on Kentucky bluegrass is going to be good for summer patch. Or did I entirely made that made make that up? I think I made that up. You're I correct. did not make that up. Okay. No, you're correct. We use, okay. we use manganese correct. up here in Canada. Well, that's right. good because I what I thought y'all still rode around on horse and buggy up there. To be honest, so that's <laughs> good that you've entered civilized society. Yeah, we got that denim tuxedo that I'm riding the horse. It's pretty cool. <laughs> so you know, uh, uh, May fifteenth, I, I, I so my second application, I'm going to put down another half pound. My first application, I was going to put down a half pound in a quarter pound of K. My second May fifteenth application, I'm going to put down a half pound in and a quarter pound of K. But I'm also now blanket spraying. Sulfentrazone. Because I'm blanket spraying, spraying sulfentrazone and I already put down my broadleaf weed control in the last application and used a good kicker with it, then I'm probably going to pull out the the need for three-way. Three-way, you get three, you get two blanket applications a year, I believe. So two. I don't, I do not want to blow those out of the water right now with, with applying my yearly maximum of two four D. So I'm going to pull it all out and I'm just going to run the sulfentrazone in my uh, round two and my round three application. Uh, again, round three, though, we're, we are really starting to hit 100% growth probability and the grass is chooching and I've already got a pound down up to this point. I'm backing it down and I'm only going to put down a quarter pound or less, maybe even an eighth of a pound in this time frame because we're already experiencing 100% growth probability. That means this grass is going to be already growing lightning fast. There's no reason for me at this time frame to go ahead and slam it with an additional pound of in when I've already applied a pound in. I don't need to put down a second pound of in just because it's growing faster and I'm trying to send it to the moon or whatever. So, my second and third applications there, uh, I'm adding sulfentrazone as a blanket application due to the, the, uh, the nut sedge pressure. And uh, I've gone from a half pound in round two down to either an eighth or a quarter pound. And then I'm having my K rate as well, right? So if I applied a half pound in, I'm applying a quarter pound of K. If I applied a quarter pound of in, then I'm applying an eighth of a pound of K. If I applied an eighth pound, I'm applying a sixteenth of K, so on and so forth. So that's going to take me through two and three, um, three there. Round four, and, and with, with, with round three, and let me make this point right here, is that we're at 100% growth probability, but I know the next month, we're going to start tanking uh, uh, in terms of growth probability, and we're also tanking just because the heat is coming on, right? With average temperature 76, you may say, well, that, that's not that hot. But here's the thing is that you may be you know, 60 at night and, uh, and 85 during the day or 87 during the day or 88 during the day. And now all of a sudden, brown patch is starting to creep into the equation. I'm not going to get into fungicides. Ryan, if you want to get into fungicides, Ray, if you want to get into fungicides, you can. That's an upsell for me, and I'm only I'm only doing an eight-application program. Uh, but just know I would begin that probably somewhere in May and continue to run that through. Probably at the end of May is where I would start uh, those applications, just kind of based on what I see here. But as a general rule of thumb, over 85 during the day, over 65 at night, Prior to that is when I want to have my fungicide application down. So, Ryan, I'll turn it over to you. Boy, there's a lot to unpack there. Okay. Uh, oh, you stop it. <laughs> let, let, let's see here. No, 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 no. There's some good stuff. No, there, there's a lot of good stuff in there. So, um, 
again, I, I'm looking at this in the sense of if it, you're looking at it from one, this is why I like the show because you're looking at it from an LCO perspective. I'm looking at it from a fine turf. Uh, this is one client that I have and I have to get it right for this person and it might not be the same for the next person, right? And Ray is looking at it somewhere in the middle, I think. So I think it's pretty cool. I think it's great perspectives. So for me uh, here on uh, round two out there, I don't know, uh, grub control. What are you, where are you at on grub, grub control here, Brandon? Uh, I've got Dominion is, is what I use to concentrate. Gotcha. Okay. So uh, let's see here. So no grub X or no Celeprin, nothing like that. Let's see here. <laughs> no, I, I, uh, I, I started buying the, the Dominion. I think it's Dominion 2L to concentrate because yep. of, I was doing GrubX granules for years, and it's like 50 bucks for a bag of that stuff. And um, so I decided to go full spray just for the cost benefit. Gotcha. No, that makes that makes complete sense. So uh, I would say to that on the GrubX side, like you can go and look at, and particularly with your N uh, range, like I, you could look at maybe just doing a liquid app. So you talked about melting down like Umax or something like that. And doing that in round two and then coming back with um like you can find uh a celeprin on uh, impregnated on fertilizer just as like a zero zero seven as a carrier right so it's this potassium carrier carrier excuse me um and that'll go out at three bags of the acre so like 3.44 pounds per thousand so if you bought a bag of that on your lawn it's going to last you at least two years that bag should be no more retail than about 30 bucks at ats and they'll definitely have it. So that's something I would look into just because um, one, you know, use up the Dominion if you want to, if you want to use it, but um, you know, metacloprid gets a bad rap, a worse rap than it should. Uh, the timing of it isn't quite as tricky, but the Celeprin and um, is just lights out on grubs and, and a lot of surface feeders too. So that really does help you out. Especially in a new one, I feel like uh, I have peace of mind. Nothing wrong with uh, the Dominion. If you're going to spray that, obviously we're talking about later in summer, you know, closer to around four, maybe even five there. Um, and with that, especially with your uh, sand cap, you definitely want to have a wetting agent mixed in with that to pull it down through that uh, emerging thatch layer that you have on the new lawn and also down through the sand, right? Because we need to get that down to the root zone, get it in the plant so that when the grubs start feeding, they're taking that up and they're going to die, right? Um, my personal opinion, if it were me and I was, you know, telling you what to buy and you didn't have this in stock, I would say go ahead and get that 007 with the uh, Enceloprin impregnated on it. So again, just real quick math, make sure. Yeah, so, I mean, you're, you're basically three years, you know, with the size of your lawn, that 30 or whatever dollars that bag's going to cost you at ATS is going to be a three-year plan. You know, so not a bad deal, 10 bucks a year. And it's a better AI. It's a safer AI, too, uh, as far as, uh, you know, the environment goes, things like that, if you're into that. So um, the other things, too, um, are you using any PGRs? Do you have any plans to use a PGR? I do. I've got some TNX um, that I'm got planning to use. Yep. When are you going to start that, and what kind of rates are we talking? Well, and that's – so this is my – really my first full year managing the KBG. And so that's kind of my plan, or at least what I'm thinking of is when I'm going to start incorporating 
the growth regulators. Um, top of mind, I was probably looking at probably the end of April is kind of when I was going to start incorporating that. But if you if you have a better, looks like you want to you want to let it out. So go ahead. <laughs> do I want? No, I don't want to let it out. I, I mean, just throw it out. Just throw it out, man. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do, right? I mean, you just go out there yeah. and throw it everywhere. It's fine. I mean, I've seen people do that on YouTube and I hear it works. That's what I'm told, but I don't know if that's true. Now, uh, back to the question of PGRs. Now, um, on new Kentucky bluegrass in St. Louis, man, I'd, I'd be treading very lightly, very lightly. Okay. And the other thing too is, uh, I'll ask this uh, as again, another layer, because again, all this stuff just layers on top of one another. Are you planning on doing any preventative fungicide applications? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so okay, I've got, what are you planning um, on using for that? I have, uh, in the past I was, you know, doing the cycling of, um, uh, azoxystrobin and, um, um, it, it escapes me. So I've got Armada is what I'm going to be using this year. Um, okay as okay. a preventative and then because pythium is quite an issue here just because of the heat and humidity and afternoon rain that we get quite a bit i've i've got some aliette that i'm going to incorporate in it as well okay so aliette's going to go out as well um yeah with you got a dmi in there and then trifloxystrobin so um you know the armada can be good again um tritomephrin is actually going off the market right now uh in pro turf and they probably won't, Armada is going to get relabeled and changed up a little bit with one of the newer barrier uh, DMIs. But the thing to remember here too is because it's a DMI, just like propiconazole, uh, is you're going to get some growth regulating effects from that, right? And particularly in summertime, if we're mixing PGRs with DMIs in St. Louis in June and July, I'm not saying that bad stuff can happen, but not good stuff can happen, right? So right. you need to be very cautious and how we uh, space out those apps for one. And quite honestly, um, you know, I think the, um, the growing degree day model. So again, if you're not familiar with the Greenkeeper app, uh, it's put out by a kind of a consortium of professors from North Carolina State, uh, UW Madison, University of Nebraska Lincoln, uh, some really, really good folks. And they've kind of developed this app to help you track uh, a number of different things, not just, um, you know, growing degree days for, PGR apps, but um, as well as like fungicide and uh, disease probability models, things like that. So I guess what I'm getting at here is that if you're always going to start the PGR program, you know, I would start it prior to May. You know, there's a lot of uh, evidence-based research that suggests that the pre-stress conditioning that you get, even on newer turf, uh, far outweighs the benefits of starting later and then uh, changing the physiology of that turf when you start to incorporate this product. So the idea behind pre-stress conditioning is that, you know, when the grass is going through this growth potential of 100% in May, right? So as we're going through spring flush and then the time thereafter uh, where it's really pushing top growth like crazy, if we can harness that energy and redirect it, right? So then it forces uh, grasses like Kentucky bluegrass, for example, that are rhizomatous to spread outwards with new rhizomes, forces those roots to grow down a little bit deeper uh, and with a little bit more mass. And so we know this from over 20 years of research data that this is true, uh, even on newer plants. So again, coming out of winter and we're in here to March, you know, I would wait until, you know, you've mowed it a good, I'd say four to six times, you know, like gotten a, a true mowing out, not just like, hey, I'm knocking off the dead stuff and feeling good, like a charity mow, like no charity mows count towards that four to six. And then 
you can kick in and probably get started somewhere, I would say, um, maybe first couple of weeks of April, and then ride it out through May. Once we get into June and July, though, that's the time where, you know, these growing degrading models. Now, when I say that, does that ring a bell? Have you, are you familiar with those or have you seen how those work? No, I haven't. Okay. So Cliff's Notes version. Um, basically, we take, a, we take a base temperature, right? And in this case, I believe they're taking base uh, 32 Fahrenheit or zero Celsius. And what they do is um, once we go over that number, they add what's called growing degree days to our calendar. And uh, so as we gain more and more heat, we gain more and more growing degree days. Well, we know that the way that um, TNX and the active ingredient are metabolized in the plant, it's actually a combination of uh, temperature and growth that causes us to lose that regulation, fall out of it, and then we hit what's called a rebound. So once we come out of regulation, the grass actually grows faster than it normally would. And so there's times where we can use that to your advantage. Now, in your case, um, you know, with the top dressings and things like that, it could be a good opportunity, particularly, um, you know, coming into uh, May and June, you know, when you're at 100% growth and you want to try and drive those roots down to use the PGR. And then as you get to June and you want to stop, you back off of it, you let it go, you do your top dressing, maybe Memorial Day-ish, you know, right when you're starting to get the heat of summer, but you're catching that rebound, it's going to grow up through that sand a lot quicker, hopefully, uh, and you can push that growth. So just different little strategies and things like that that you can weave in there. And maybe it's, you know, if it's too advanced, you can just say, Ryan, shut the hell up. But these are the things I'm thinking when you start adding all these layers in to try and make it right. With the fungicides, uh, that's a whole separate conversation we could get into. But again, my, my strong caution to you would be um, the DMIs and um, PGRs together at the same time through summer. That's just, just one baseline caution. I'll send Matt a link. There's a really good um, kind of data sheet or fact sheet from uh, the Ohio State University and their turf program on uh, fungicides that are labeled for home lawns. I think there's it's probably the most comprehensive list. There's some really expensive stuff on there, but just like good divorce lawyers, the most expensive fungicides are that way because they work. So just keep that in mind. You know, I keep I keep hearing that that eight application window just being totally blown out of this earth because now we've got preventative fungicides, we've got uh, growth regulators going down, and and boy, we just went from eight to twelve, possibly sixteen applications. I think I think I'm just counting. Well, okay, so so let's let's talk about this. Is it is it are we going for an outcome or a number? Another consulting question that commonly comes up. <laughs> If, if you want to, if you want, if you want to stick with eight, we can make it eight. We can we can jam enough crap in the bag to make eight work. Don't get me wrong. If you want to make it sixteen or whatever the number is, you're not concerned with that, and you just want the best product. That's fine too. You just let us know. Seriously, like we're, we're, there's no uh, agenda on anybody's part. I will tell the I will say to Matt though is that is it a callback if you already live where your mess up is? It's not a callback. So, you know, he can he can just screw stuff up and just go back and it's, you know, he's right there. There's no callback. And that, and, and yeah. that is a great point. Go ahead. Go ahead, Brandon. I was, I was going to answer Ryan's question. There's really no ceiling for me really to how many applications that we can do. I mean, I'm, I work from home, so I do nothing but stare at my lawn all day when I'm at work, <laughs> right? So 
okay. I have more than enough time and tools to, to go out and do the application. So to answer your question, we're going for outcomes. We're not going for any specific roundabout number. I love working with people like this. No, like, I was going to say, that is a, this is totally a consultant's dream right here. Did you, did you hear how all of that was phrased? And he went from having a $400 budget to an $800 budget and just a, 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 a snap of the fingers. That is a beautiful thing that we all just watched here. After this well, show, if you've ever, if you've, everyone should hire a consultant to sell your lawn care services. I'm going to tell you that right now because did you hear the level of excitement he just put into Brandon with potential and knowledge and ability to uh, 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 increase the likelihood of success here? I mean, it was at that point, it was money was no longer a, a thing. It was we're going for a damn result and we're going to get there by any means necessary. That was priceless and beautiful, Ryan. That's, I'm complimenting you. <laughs> Why, thank you. Well, all right, I, I've said enough. Oh, that, go ahead. That is exactly how I work. Is that I tell people, you don't hire me to cut your grass, you don't hire me to make applications, you hire me because number one, you have a number to call when something's not going well, and number two, you are paying me to give you that basically almost golf look lawn. And that is where, for example, I get rather offended when I hear people on YouTube pitching the golf course lawn when it becomes apparent that they have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> what if I played golf on a golf course before? Does that count? Is that something like uh, a golf course lawn? Nope. Nope. Doesn't oh, count. Okay. Not unless, okay. not Thank unless, you for setting me straight. Not unless somebody can actually do the applications and the agronomic practices needed to actually get that. And that is where I kind of lit up too when he said he's looking for a result not how many applications he can cram into the bag or the spray tank. I mean, that's like, oh, I, I got very happy myself, right? Right, Because that's essentially how, how I work too, is that no, you're not, as I said, you're not paying me based on how many applications per year or how many times your lawn gets mowed per year. You're paying me because you want your grass to look a certain way and getting it to, to do that is not an upsell because I've been very transparent about what is potentially going to be involved in getting your grass to do what you want it to do. Hmm. So, I think that's the thing is like you're, you're manipulating something that isn't natural in, into doing what you want and, Trust me, all three of us here could count uh, our failures by the dozens, right? In trying to figure this out. So when we say this stuff, you know, part of it is, yeah, it's the, the textbook side of things and reading research papers and trying to understand the sign, what it is, but also 
having put this into practice or these techniques or strategies or tactics into practice and finding out what works and what doesn't. And there's no substitute for that. Uh, there's absolutely no substitute for it. So I think that's something that, that shouldn't be lost on folks. Uh, kind of, uh, so I'm going to take it on. This is again, purely LCO perspective here. Um, so we established, uh, you know, kind of what we were going to be doing through the first three applications there. Now, this is where, you, you know, you talk about rolling the dice. You can do few applications in June through September, or you can do a metric ass ton of applications from June through September, depending on which flavor you want to approach here, right? Now, purely from an LCO perspective, you're going to be limited because you know you've got to get pre-emergence down at the beginning of the year. And you know, at the end of the year, you've got to get your seed down, typically if you're overseeding, or um, at least get your fall fertilizer down to, you know, put things to bed correctly in a, in a way to make sure you have the earliest green lawns uh, the following spring, right? So, um, and this is where it gets really difficult from an LCO perspective because you're capped. You know you've got four applications already allocated and you've got four left that you have to work with, right? And you have to make the determination whether it's history on that piece of property or purely a gamble of how you want to allocate those four applications. And unfortunately, when it starts moving into this, you win some, you lose some uh, based on what your budget is for, for that lawn. You know, if you sold a 5,000 square foot lawn at, at $10 a thousand square feet, well, you know, I don't know what your your upper limit on your cost can be per thousand, but I would say on the at the absolute high end, you're going to be somewhere around $2.50 a thousand. So in those middle four applications, you know about what you can do there, right? So while it would be great and fun to include a wedding agent on application on every application, a fungicide on every application, uh, a blanket weed control on every application, a lot of times that's going to push you somewhere closer to four or five dollars a thousand square foot, and it just doesn't make sense to blow out 50% of your budget and end up losing you know $2.50 per thousand uh, by treating this lawn. Ryan, you look so good when you get up on that camera like that, by the way. <laughs> teasing you. <laughs> uh, so I and and I'll kinda I'll kinda leave this up for debate here, right? On on uh application four, five and, and six. So if it were my first time on this property, more than likely what I would be doing, if and say Brandon is the type of the customer, and I'm going to play devil's advocate here. If he's the type of customer and that says, no, I signed up for eight applications. That's all I'm going to get is eight applications. And that's the beginning and the end of the story. So I know I made an application in March, April, and May. Now I've got the time frame between June and September to figure out what the hell am I going to do to guarantee the first year success of this lawn, right? So more than likely what I'm going to be doing in that June, July, and August timeframe is spending the money on something like azoxystrobin and propiconazole or azoxystrobin, propiconazole, and phosphite, whatever I can do to maximize that result in that timeframe. If I've got a little extra dollars in the tank there, I'm on a declining 
sliding scale in terms of nutrient requirements here because less N is has the potential to be utilized. So therefore, less P, less K also has the potential to, to less more, less of it is being utilized. Now, here's kind of the caveat. Here's kind of the caveat is if I'm going to starve it in favor of applying a fungicide, I'm at least going to throw some foliar in the tank. And if you're going to throw some foliar in the tank, you might as well go ahead and make it MPK balance right here. So this is where something uh, like a, uh, a, a, if you've got a little bit of P and a nice two to one in decay, and you can get six, nine, 12 ounces of it in the tank, along with your azoxystrobin and propiconazole or your Armada or whatever it is that you, you, you're planning to go with. I don't know. You may be doing, uh, um, uh, what is the uh, myclobutanil and, and, and Cleary 3336-alphenate-methyl. I, I don't know. You have to make that determination based off what your weather is telling you. I can't tell you specifically, oh, yeah, I'm looking at it right here, and I can say with 100% accuracy that you are for sure going to run into this specific disease on this day. I don't know. You have to gauge that. You may have a cool summer. Now, my camera went out, and I'm aware of that, and I will get it back on, so just bear with me here. Um, you have to make that final determination of what ends up going down, but... Um, from a purely an LCO perspective here, this is where I'm literally juggling between do I spend the money on fertilizer or do I spend the money on fungicide? And it's up to the individual applicator to make that determination. And, uh, and I'm not saying either one is right or wrong, but I'm saying those are the handcuffs you have to work with. And so it's totally up to you in that time frame from June to August on how you're going to handle that. But those are the limitations that you need to be prepared for. All right, I'll let y'all let let y'all talk on that. Ryan, go ahead. Go ahead, Ryan. Oh, Ryan is Ryan lost sound. I'm, I'm on mute. Oh, no, I'm back. on mute. I'm on mute. All right. Um, so on the fungicide thing again, I'll I gotta send this link over. I didn't do it yet. Um, you know, some of the more expensive fungicides. I mean, that's again. I always look at not necessarily upfront cost, right? It's upfront cost per day of control. And specific, you know, specific ones are going to have better control on certain diseases, things like that. Um, it's important to be mindful of that because, you know, in a situation where you've got your old standbys of thiophenate methyl, propiconazole, uh, even the zoxystrobin, I would consider now an old standby. Um, those are ones that you can hang your hat on and you know that you can get you know, fairly inexpensively and uh, used to your advantage and, and definitely have to have those in the rotation, no question about it. But I would look at, especially if I was on a square footage like yours, is look at um, buying small amounts of some of the improved chemistries that are out there. And, um, you know, there are, um, for the label for home lawns, most of these are in the SDHI class of fungicides, so they're a little bit newer. Just like um, you know, the strobularians, uh, especially, they're kind of close to that in terms of their ability to build up resistance really quickly. So you got to be careful with them. But these are nice things to have in the middle of the summer, right? That you can throw something out there that's very broad spectrum that's going to get you easily 21 days of control, maybe even 28. But that's pushing it sometimes in St. Louis. Um, so having those things to to kind of lean on, right, is a good thing. 
you know, there's also a lot of um, evidence out there in terms of, of different cultural practices that we can do. You know, we talked about um, the manganese level, particularly for summer patch on, on Kentucky bluegrass. I wouldn't suspect that that's going to be an issue for you in year one, but as we get into like years three, four, and five, you're going to learn very quickly what summer patch is. And so that would be something that I'm sort of building up towards, right? So making sure that um, your manganese levels are in a sufficiency range to uh, support the plant and plants defenses against that for one, but then two, coming into say 2024, um, you're going to be timing up a couple fairly expensive applications of the Zoxystrobin um, and or um, propiconazole, something like that. There's a couple other ones that are more expensive and I'm not sure that they're labeled for home lawns. But in any event, uh, the fungicide thing is, is a tricky one. It's probably more than we want to dive into on this one. I think from the NPK standpoint, I agree with Matt that uh, a foliar uh, application through summertime, you know, even when you're in those depressed growth rates, you still are going to need some N. The other thing too with summer that I noticed about your soil test is, I don't know if you uh, happen to read that section on your um, uh, organic matter percentage, right? It's pretty high. It's like 4.32 or something like that. What are we at? 4.9. Good gravy, son. Like you hammer that Milwaukee. They, Milwaukee should buy you a beer. Right, and then have you come take a dump in their toilet so you can make more milorganite. God bless you. <laughs> now, you'll notice that it says right next to that 4.9%. I think this is on the back. Let me look at the front, too. Yeah, so you're 130 on the front, 149 on the back. These are your estimated nitrogen return. It says ENR right there next to that. Now, what that means is that through the nitrogen cycle, the uh, – organic matter that you've loaded into the soil. And I'm not hitting, I'm not, you know, trying to beat you over the head with this. I'm just trying to uh, help you understand that you're going to get 142 pounds to the acre, right? So what is that? A little over three pounds, about 3.2 pounds estimated nitrogen release. And you're going to see that predominantly when conditions are when you don't want to have a whole bunch of flush and growth, right? It's going to be when it's really hot and it's really wet. Those are the times that those microbes are going to go crazy and chew through that stuff and release a lot of that nitrogen. So you need to be careful with your nitrogen apps, you know, particularly if you get into a rainy, hot summer, it's kind of that balance, right, you know, in managing this. And so um, I think you'll find that uh, the varieties that you planted are pretty good. They're not, I wouldn't say that there are, they are top notch in terms of disease resistance and overall um, summer stress uh, beaters to say the, the least. They, they're, they're, they're great to look at though. I mean, they're fantastic in terms of uh, color and vigor. They establish really quickly uh, as sod formers and that's why sod farms love them. That exact uh, blend that you planted is one that's grown, I mean, in darn near every uh, Kentucky bluegrass sod farm across the Eastern United States because it's that good of a blend, you know, for sod. So uh, I think when you're talking about N in the summertime, be mindful that um, nitrogen cycle that's going to happen with your OM, for one, you're going to get a lot out of it. Most people would be um, closer to maybe a pound, pound and a half. So you're like double that, right? And it's just something to be mindful of. So on the foliar side, as Matt was saying, you know, you got a lot of different options out there. You can roll your own for sure um, and pick it up. You know, there's some UMAX and some DKP. Um, Heck, Ray might even tell you to roll uh, Peter's Triple 20, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, even with your pea, you're going to want to try and bump that grass along a little bit uh, from a foliar perspective because your roots aren't going to be doing much 
you're going to be very compromised uh, during that summer stretch. So just thinking about that as a whole, and again, all the layers that go into that. So Ray, I'll shut up and you can talk. I'm going to go figure out where we're going to buy this guy <laughs> beer in Milwaukee. Well, the, uh, you know, you've, you've all basically hit the, uh, the points and one of the big ones is balanced, but very low rate NP and K during times of stress. And Ryan called it. I'm probably going to tell you really low rates of a one, one, one to just get the grass through this difficult time. And by the way, during difficult times, your 111 is absolutely totally tank mixable with a fungicide if that's what's indicated. And in fact, I personally do it all the time where I come into a situation where it's a salvage or a rescue situation and this is a turf area that is not doing well and 111 micronutrients and a appropriate fungicide including the newer, probably more expensive fungicides, but I don't look at a fungicide as being expensive if, in fact, that package or that bottle will last me for, you know, more than one application or over more than one year because I come from a time when a fungicide application involved a two-pound bag or a one gallon bottle and at the end of the day that package didn't cover very many thousand square feet versus something that costed a little more and i have enough product to do acres out of that entire package so you don't only look at what the thing costs per bottle but you look at how much square footage that bottle covers and how long of a duration of protection you get out of that one application, you know, 21 days, 28 days, or do you only get seven or 14 days? And oh, by the way, you just used up that entire package. <laughs> Time to get another one. I mean, I've been there. Yeah, that's that's a painful thing to do. You know, we got on the triple 20 talk and I had a question for Matt. Do you know if there is a one 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 fertilizer superior ingredients that's sold by the greatest singer-songwriter to ever walk the face of this earth. <laughs> Is there such a product? Shout out to Lawn Supply Company, uh, LawnSupplyCompany.com uh, for sponsoring this video. Uh, LawnSupplyCompany.com, uh, triple 18, fully chelated micronutrients, goes into solution beautifully, uh, and even includes uh, uh, mi micronized silica in the mix just for just for that extra zapow in the uh, in the in the summer months, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, but I'm not here to plug a whole bunch of stuff. I feel I feel disgusting when I do that, so I'm I'm not. Um, all right, so I'll kind of take you in, and 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 so my my rates, and I'm I kind of mapped out what my rates for the year look like here. You know, so my round one was half a pound of of n quarter pound of k. Round two uh, was half a pound of n quarter pound of k. Round three was a quarter pound of n. Uh, an eighth of a pound of K. Uh, round four and five, this would be June and July, I would be somewhere around um, uh, an eighth and a sixteenth 
of uh, of N and K there. Now, the caveat there is that I may start sprinkling in some P right there. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, if you're if you're doing a soluble powder or something of the sorts right there, you know, you see how how that could. I could deliver it. You could deliver at that rate, really, no problem, relatively cost effectively, give you some still room in the budget to be able to do some of those fun things like fungicides. You probably don't have the application frequency here and, uh, in, in this particular lawn and aid applications to start adding growth regulators to the mix. That just adds a whole nother layer of complexity in, in total applications per year. Uh, so that would have to be a dedicated program again, in my opinion. Um, and then, and then I would August for me uh, in in this type of scenario, I would probably just leave it alone and let whatever's going to happen happen. And I would really hinge that on the relationship between me and the person who hired me. Um, stay on top of your watering, um, and and let's hope and pray for the best. Because really, from my standpoint, the best thing that I could do out there is you know again maybe add another round of a of a, a soluble triple 20 or something like that um you know and and again in that time frame from june through uh august you know if you're if you're into the biostimulant game probably starting in may running from may uh through through august time frame would be a good fit in conjunction as part of your fungicide program or whatever else you were doing it fits there in that particular instance and then this is where I start to go absolutely eight nuts, right? September rolls around, and we see our growth probability goes nuts. We almost go back up to 100% growth probability. And a lot of times, if you're you know if you're dealing with with tall fescue here, you know you, you're probably seeding with Kentucky bluegrass. Debatable whether you are or not. Um, and and so this is where I'm bringing my end rates way on back up. So me personally, from a lawn care perspective. I want my lawns to recover from August faster than anybody else. So in September, I'm probably going full send, full pound of N, half pound of K. Uh, or if I'm seeding, I'm you know I've got a budget of a half pound of P205 that I can be applying. So I'm going to go ahead and let loose here with maybe even a starter fertilizer. Um, so that. That's kind of where I, I would go, or even a, this is where I go with a full send of like a uh, of a of a one to one to one two, right? I could do that as well, and and so that way it's all about how quick can I can I recover coming out of that super hyper stressful period. And if you're applying a pound of in, I'm telling you right now, you're going to see pretty quick recovery, pretty fast. It's going to grow like hell, but you're on the second wind of the turf, you're losing daylight hours. So it's not going to grow as vigorously or as violently like it did in the spring. You will definitely see some retarded growth out of, out of the grass. It, I've never had the same level of growth the second half of the, of the season that I have the first half of the season. That could just be me and my limited experience, but in my experience, that's, that's what I've witnessed. So I feel more comfortable in that time frame going ahead and ramping up to that full rate of a pound in three quarters of a pound in somewhere in the, in that window. Then I would follow that up right in that next application, same rate. And it's kind of a, my own little personal hybrid take on uh what is it? What is the one that, that they, that they do when they grow in Kentucky bluegrass where they're slamming it with nitrogen every two weeks. What do they, what did they call that? The, um, the, I read it on the lawn forum. 
the, the fall yes like the that. fall nitrogen blitz it yes sounds like a ra- sounds like a radio station the fall blitz thank you everybody for tuning in <laughs> you're listening to the fall blitz on today's episode of apt fall blitz all right so it's kind That's of right. my take on it right where where i am i'm i'm ramping things back up i'm getting extremely aggressive and uh but it's not the same as the fall blitz, right? Because that's typically like a pound every two weeks or something like that. So I don't subscribe to that. A pound is a pound, and it's going to last for quite a while. So, uh, but you know that September time frame, I'm going ahead and making that application. October time frame, I'm making that application again, and then November, I'm dialing it back to a half pound, and I'm probably going to run something stable in the cold, ammoniacal nitrogen. Uh, probably something like ammonium sulfate here again. Uh, and I'm at a half pound, you know, now I've got four pounds of N I've got roughly 2.2 pounds of K and depending on where you decided to sprinkle in your phosphorus, if you did it at your seed point in September, then, you know, you're going to have upwards of a pound of, of P2O5 that went down as well. So you're over budget on your P2O5, you're at budget with your K2O and total N. All right, so come on, somebody, about, somebody. About, I'll, I'll jump in. I'll, you know, I'll jump in here. What uh, we, we've talked a lot. We're not quite done yet, but what what questions do you have, Brandon? We've talked a lot, and I'm sure you're thinking, <laughs> yeah. "What the hell was I thinking coming in here?" <laughs> no, this is these guys. Are you nuts. know, I'm not, I'm not thinking that at all. Uh, you guys have confirmed a lot of things that I was thinking about going into the year, and then you've you know, placed a little bit of, of not, not doubts the right word, but kind of things that I, that I was going to do that probably not such a great idea. Um, but, uh, for, you know, for someone like myself, right. That's trying to manage, I'm trying to manage two different turf types in two different sort of settings. Right. Um, you know, what would you say to a DIYer that really has, kind of their perspective is limited on something like that, where they just want it to be as simple as possible. There's a definite budget in place here. You know, what, what is the type of, of advice that you would give to somebody that, that wants to manage and have a nice lawn, doesn't necessarily need to have, you know, sports turf quality. Um, what would you say to somebody like that that was looking for, for some advice? In your situation, again, everybody's situation is different. Irrigation, grass type, soil type, uh, nutrients, all those things. I think if you get down to the basics of if you can, you know, if you can water correctly for the type of grass you have, if you can get your NPK right relative to what's in your soil, and if you can get your mowing done correctly, right? I think if you have those three things in place, you'd be just fine. You really would. Um, you know, we control... If, if you know, again, we're just talking about the basic DIY. If you don't want to get too carried away with it, um, that's something that I wouldn't necessarily make as a uh, a foundational thing. I think you can layer that in if you want to and go from there. But that's going to depend on your location. The further south you go, the more weed problems you're going to have. The further north you go, you know our problems are mainly with uh, diseases, right? And so I think that's something that um, if you get those three things started with and you work your way out from there, then you can talk about, okay, now I've got those things right now. I'm ready to maybe add in the weed control layer and hold maybe, um, 
there's too many weeds and maybe I need to renovate. And then we can start, you know, layering up from there. But if you don't have that foundational stuff, right? Like if you can't water correctly, if you can't mow correctly, you can't get your NPK right. Like there's no sense in putting the time, money and effort into any type of renovation or any additional layers to your lawn care program, in my opinion. The reason I ask that is because I do get a lot of questions from people who are around me and they want to know what I'm doing. They want to know how, you know, they have questions. Um, and when I tell them to start with cultural practices, I get like the confused dog look, you know, like the, the cocked head. And, uh, and that's kind of what I lead with because, you know, they see me with, you know, um, they, they don't know what I'm spraying, but right up to like, what's that blue tank? What's the blue liquid you got in there? It's, you know, I'm out there with Peter's triple 20 and I'm mixing that with fungicides and I'm, yeah, I'm doing, you know, really low rates of N probably sometimes weekly. And, you know, everyone thinks that because I'm doing this, that lawn care is like a really, um, you know, time, huge time suck where they're out there all the time doing all these things. And, and I'm trying to tell people that's really not that. So, um, that's kind of where I was going when I, with, with that type of question. Hang, hang on one no, second. And it, 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 this, it, it fits more closely probably with the, uh, with the LCO model uh, because you're selling, in effect, you know, six, seven, eight applications a year, and you're expected to deliver 365-day performances on six, seven, eight visits out of a year, right? So really, it becomes the ultimate quest of figuring out what can you get done at, uh, within budget constraints in those six visits that are going to give you the competitive edge over everyone else. The number one thing that you can control that will give you competitive edge over everyone else is having uh, appropriate agronomy. Uh, because if there's one thing that is glossed over from top to bottom, bottom to top, it is going to be agronomy. As an LCO, I don't have control over how you mow your yard. I don't have control over how you water your yard. The only thing I can offer there is education, right? And so frequent reminders, communication with the customer, email blasts reminding, you know, hey, now we're moving into this time of year. You can expect to irrigate one inch of water per zone, uh, uh, one inch of water per week. And, you know, maybe we split that up into two waterings, depending on what your soil structure is and blah, 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 and how that applies to different areas across the country. But, you know, there you shift your focus to to nail that uh, that cultural aspect into education effort. And then as far as your visiting, you know, each time you're on that property, you make sure you are doing what you need to do from an agronomic standpoint to give you the competitive advantage. And then everything on top of that, but you'll hear me call it an upsell, right? Because from how, how I approach all that is that if you want anything outside of accurate agronomy and uh, educational advice, it's, it's, it's a pay-to-play service, right? I will do it. If you want a fungicide program, I will do it. And I can guarantee that it is going to help set you apart from everybody else. If you want to be on a PGR program, I can do that too. You're going to have to pay to play and it will set you apart. It adds another layer of complexity, but it also adds another layer of potential success if executed correctly. So at the end of the day, like you said, with cultural practices, maybe dumb that down into the way you mow, the, the type of mower you use and how you irrigate, right? Uh, and then you build from there. All right, now let's get agronomy right. Real simple, just get a soil test. We can take a look at your soil test, see where your deficiencies are, and then plot out basically what you need to spend on the season in fertilizer. And we can divide that into four, five, six applications, however you, you see fit, right? And then from there, you start building complexity. 
But if you can't get the agronomy right, if you can't get the cultural practices right, it's probably not the thing for you, right? Or really for anyone else, even if, if you're a, a pro out there treating lawns and you can't get that fundamental piece right of education and agronomy, it's probably not the industry for you. And, you know, move on to, to something else. Or you're going to spend a lot of years with a lot of heartache wondering, what the hell am I doing wrong? Go ahead, right, Ray. Hundred percent. Yeah, that, that yeah, that's just uh, you know, I kind of got, got a little tingle when you said cultural practices because how many times do you guys think I turn down people just because they're not willing or able to, for example, mow correctly? How many times? Uh, too many to count, Ray. Yeah, I mean, I have a little bad nickname here where they compare me to that guy on Seinfeld. You know I've never seen it, so I don't guy? know what you're talking about. No, that mean guy. Yep, that mean guy that said, no soup for you, next. <laughs> because mowing correctly is, that's like your fundamental, and I think you specifically, you kind of have that down because if you've committed to using the correct type of mower, for example, to do a low cut on something like sod quality Kentucky bluegrass, I can also tell you that that is literally, I want to say, 75 to 80% of your problems because... I also have an alternate theory about low mowing in that low mowing actually alleviates disease pressure in humid and hot climates. And I know this from personal experience because I get to deal with Matt's favorite grass quite a bit, which is zoysia. However, in my climate, zoysia turns into be into a nightmare if somebody is not mowing it low enough because the excessive moisture and humidity will literally cause this grass to rot right before someone's eyes. It's a grass that actually needs it to be kind of on the drier side and it doesn't mind sun, it doesn't mind heat, but it's Achilles heel is if you have it sitting with wet roots or wet feet. And I highly suspect that Kentucky bluegrass is kind of the same way in that if you keep it too tall, too thick, too dense, uh, when the warm and humid part of the year comes around, you're in trouble. And there comes a point where for me, if somebody is keeping their grass too thick and too dense, I don't know of any good fungicides to correct that core or fundamental issue. So I think you kind of have it. Basically, part of your problem is solved by a commitment to mowing low enough. Yeah, so I, I just think, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to affirm that I'm mowing the, the bluegrass at just over a half inch. It's somewhere between three quarters and a half inch real mode. Um, so, Yes, which is unheard of in St. Louis. Nobody's real mowing except for. <laughs> That's right. 
except for uh, okay. sports kind of stadiums. Rimmer? It's a Cal trimmer. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's <laughs> impressive. That's not a Nerd. bad mower. And the thing is, is that I got to tell you, you know, I've been looking at, you know, turf grass care over the years. And in another time, a lot of the lawns in the transition zone and East Coast and Midwest were either bent grass or Kentucky bluegrass, and they were mowed relatively low. Uh, and I know this because prior to the 1980s, there were so many real mowers, power real mowers, specifically marketed towards consumer lawns. And then in the 1980s, that somehow just all went away. It disappeared. And what made that disappear is the rise of the zero-turn rotary mower and turf-type tall fescue. All of a sudden, Kentucky bluegrass that's kept manicured became a relic. Uh, that was like your grandpa's lawn back, back in the 1960s and the 1970s. Yeah, you you're absolutely right, and that that is true for for, for this area. Until the '70s, um, a lot of the lawns were either Bermuda, uh, zoysia, or bluegrass, and th th there was really no in between. And th the growing season for Bermuda and zoysia is so so short that not many people had it. And, and bluegrass king, um, and then fescue came around, doing it tall. You know the 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 turf the, the the turf type varieties. Um, and to this day, people think that fescue is, you know, the, the best possible turf type for them. And um, while it is for, for if, you, if you don't want to put in the time to maintain it, I can understand why. Um, but bluegrass was, has always been in this area. And uh, for some reason it has escaped everyone in the St. Louis and even kind of where I am in the transition zone, that bluegrass isn't a viable grass type here, which I would argue that it, it most definitely is. Well, and the reason why it will become viable is your low height of cut. I mean, I, I firmly believe that for otherwise disease-prone grasses, a lower height of cut is actually to your benefit when you're dealing with humidity and heat because then that turf grass canopy maintains a less than ideal amount of moisture for diseases to even become an issue. Ryan, I, I, you, you're, you got all kinds of different emotions going on over there. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's kind of give some, some uh, rounding out, uh, close out thoughts here, and, uh, and then we'll move on to the, uh, the show after the show at uh, hashtag Dirty Deeds if you want to learn more about that. Uh, you muted yourself. Unmute yourself, Ryan. Come on. Come on. You've got to learn how to stream. <laughs> I'll learn how to stream someday. But uh, yeah. All right. So uh, final thoughts here. Uh, one, I commend you, man. Like, you, you know, you, you're really doing a great job. Um, you got a lot of answers to all the questions I've asked that tells me that you're thoughtful about it, you're intentional about it, and that's important, right? I think it's easy to dip your toe in the water and get in way deeper than you should. And 
I like that you're taking the approach of uh, cultural practices and agronomy first and products secondarily. So, um, you know, I think as you go through this uh, with your particular situation, um, don't be afraid to uh, test out some different things, especially between the front and the back and the different turf types and, uh, you know, newness of the front lawn relative to the back lawn, that sort of thing. But I guess overall is um, if you're maintaining bluegrass at half or three quarters of an inch in St. Louis, you know, it's time to get your stuff put together and buckle up because this is going to be a wild ride this summer. And I don't mean <laughs> that to scare you. I just mean it's it, it's going to get real. It's going to get real, real. So, um, you know, don't be afraid to ask for help. We're here. We're here to help you. And, um, you know, all all those layers that we talked about, right, as the uh, degree of difficulty goes up and the complexity goes up, the the razor's edge gets thinner and thinner and thinner on each of those layers as they kind of uh, mesh together to make this big, hopefully tasty sandwich, but hopefully not a poop sandwich for you to do this, right? <laughs> so, and if it is poop, hopefully it came from Milwaukee and it went into the bag of Morganite that we used on your lawn. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> Ray, Ray, give us some final thoughts here. Well, I too, I, I really appreciate your approach of agronomy and cultural practices first rather than looking for some kind of miracle or magic, you know, in a bag. I mean, that is just the mindful and thoughtful approach. And by the way, because you're looking at it from that point of view, I really don't imagine you having a particularly rocky ride because as long as you have your fundamentals and your basics, you know, in place, the whole reason for me harping on cultural practices and agronomy is because I find that that minimizes the severity and the number of surprises that I know I have to go through during the year. Because on the other hand, people that don't have their ag agronomy and their cultural practices right, they get a lot of nasty surprises. And they're the kind of nasty surprises that, from my point of view, can make somebody look extremely bad, extremely fast. So, you know. Let's just say this. I would are, always rather. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah so, for you, you've basically reduce the potential for a lot of nasty surprises and uh i'll yield the floor to ryan <laughs> no I, I thought you were you were down there right I'm, I'm sorry for that but i was just going to say i would always rather answer to an angry customer or client than an angry wife so uh if you are married brandon please keep that in mind of you're riding on that razor's edge man riding the wave until no, you go no. grass again that's what i always say <laughs> You All right, that uh, board and paddle back out, son. Uh, Brandon, how can we follow along with you this year on the uh, on the lawn journey? Sure. So, if you want to follow along on my lawn journey, and hope that just uh, doesn't turn into a shed fire, you can find me uh, at Turf Culture on YouTube. I'm also on Instagram. I'm fairly active on both of those socials. So. Um, if you want to follow along and uh, beat me up in the comment section, I invite you to come uh, subscribe to me on the socials. 
All right. Well, I want to thank uh, Ryan and Ray, of course, and, and Brandon for uh, having the tenacity to come up here and sit with us and listen to us make all these wild ass suggestions. But hopefully uh, somewhere in the midst of uh, the three different points that we brought forth that uh, something somewhere in the middle makes sense for uh, some some information that you can carry with you and apply. Uh, so again, thank you everybody for tuning in and watching. I've had a lot of fun doing this and I know it's three wildly different perspectives we shared here, but, but if you caught there at the end, what it all came down to is agronomy and cultural practices upon which that foundation can a solid house be built. All right. In dirty deeds, we're going to be sharing some information for uh, the show after the show. Uh, for the members only. All right, we'll see you on the flip side.